Well, welcome to Calvary, and we are so glad that you are here, whether you're joining us online or in the room. Thank you for making us a part of your weekend celebration. We just have a couple of things we want to draw your attention to real quick. One, Calvary Kids is going to be continuing at both 9 and 1030 all summer long. We're going to have summer Calvary Kids. It'll be a different type of programming, but you still check in right outside the slides if you've been in our building, and we would love to see you and your family there. So kids, bring a friend. Parents, invite your friends who have kids, and we would love to welcome them into our spaces. Also, coming up in July, we will be serving our, uh, an agency in our community that meets people's needs worldwide, and that's Feed My Starving Children. And we would love to have you join us for that packout event. So you can get the dates and all the details online at calvary.com forward slash serve. So please make that a part of your weekend, and we would love to see you there in July. And then lastly, we just want to continue to say thank you for your generous giving that has enabled us to live out our value and our mission here in Golden Valley and soon into expanding places around our community. And so thank you for that. We ask if you want to give, if you're a regular attender here, you want to give, you can click that give button online or you can give in the box outside of the chapel when you leave today. Thank you so much for joining with us. And uh, let's dive in today. So if you're just tuning in, if it's been a while since you've been with us or it's your first Sunday ever here, we're in the middle of a series on the book of Psalms. Now, Psalms is this book right in the middle of the Bible, and it's a, really a collection of songs and poetry uh, that work all the way through. And so for the next eight weeks, or all the way through June and July, we'll be looking at one of those Psalms individually as it kind of speaks to what's going on in our lives in 2021. So we're going to be in Psalm 13 today. And uh, that's a psalm of lament, and we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. But right now, if you want to grab your Bible, open it up to Psalms. It's kind of in the middle. Psalm, if you don't know, starts with a P, so don't look for anything that starts with an S. And we'll be in Psalm 13. I want to start with a story by a lady whose name is Hannah Clark. And she talks about lament in this way. As I walked into the consultant's room, two different people told me it was nothing to worry about. They were wrong. As the consultant's words made clear, your son could be dead in half an hour, not more than a week. My third son, Wilfred, was born three months prematurely. He was six weeks old and he was going to die. When you're in a trial, you come face to face with this question, do I believe what I say I believe. In the NICU in Belfast, Northern Ireland, the 10 sickest babies in the country are all in one room. The room's dark because the light would be too much for them. The alarms on their monitors are dinging, dinging, dinging all night long. Parents stumble about with unbrushed hair, unwashed faces, and tear stains down their cheeks. There's little you can do when your baby's dying inside an incubator. My husband Joel and I held Wilford's hand and sang to him. We'd been singing the Psalms for as long as we could. Nightly in family worship, weekly in church, and now in the hospital. I sang the Psalter's version of Psalm 22 often, and it described my agony perfectly. 
and all my bones are out of joint. Like wax, so feels my heart. It seems to have been melted there within my inmost parts. This psalm also had words of comfort. You took me from my mother's womb. In safety, I did rest. Upon you, I have been cast since I in birth did come to be. Since I came from my mother's womb, you've been a God to me. A few days after that meeting, the doctors decided surgery was an option for Wilfred. But they were clear. It was, uh, he was unlikely he would survive, and even less likely the surgery would be successful. We'd have to turn off his life support afterwards. Under the consent form heading, Possible Side Effects, someone had written in all capital letters, DEATH. We signed the form and we sang, Yea, though I walk through death's dark veil, yet will I fear no ill. There are three bedrooms for parents in the NICU ward. We were in one. The two other couples with very sick little boys were in the other. On Sunday, one of them died. On Monday, the other. Wilford's surgery was scheduled for Tuesday. Wilfred survived the operation and it was successful. We were overwhelmed with joy after a grueling recovery period. He began to thrive. He was out of the incubator drinking from a bottle and the oxygen machine was switched off. We were hoping to take our healthy baby boy home very soon. Then God in his wisdom took all that away again. With Wilford's health deteriorating, one morning we woke up knowing he was fighting a cold. By evening, we were offered palliative care. I sat in Wilford's cot that whole night holding his hand and singing Psalm 143. O Lord, my prayer hear and heed my pleading cry. In faithfulness give ear, in righteousness reply. Even as the psalm petitions God, it teaches me, the pleader, that he will faithfully listen and righteously reply. Mine heart in me dismayed, my spirit faint does grow, yet I do call to mind the memory of past days, your works of every kind, and muse upon your ways. That night I thought of all God's goodness to me and to Wilfred. To you I stretch my hands. There I was, helpless as a child, reaching out to God. O oh Lord, soon answer me. When morning comes to me, your loving kindness show. My trust in you will be. My trust was in God. Would morning bring the kindness of Wilfred living? Or would it bring the kindness of God taking Wilfred to heaven? My husband and I decided against palliative care. As the night wore on, Wilfred became sicker and the only option left was to ventilate him, which might be impossible, they said, and then transfer him to another hospital. We left the room and sat in the hall looking out the window over the darkened hospital car park. For the next hour, they tried to intubate him and more and more doctors rushed into the room by the end, there were 15 people working on Wilfred. The nurses were crying. Eventually, his consultant came out. Wilfred 
was on a ventilator, still alive, and the ambulance was waiting. Morning was just breaking. The Psalms reminded me of truth my mind knew, but my heart couldn't always comprehend. Singing them disciplined me to continue worshiping God, even when I felt like doing nothing but screaming in distress. You see, as we study the Psalms, they take us to a place of discomfort. They force us to ask some tough questions. Maybe you walked in here today, and that's exactly where you are. You're hurt, you're angry, and screaming, and in distress, and you don't know what to do with all the things you've lost, or all the things you've had to deal with in the last 18 months. We've had plenty to lament over since March of 2020. Have we taken time to grieve? To be angry? Have we cried out to God in that place of anger and hurt because of what we've experienced? Maybe you're here and you're doing well. And that's awesome. We're so glad that you're here. But how can you grieve? with or for someone who's in the midst of that place of lament and hurt and pain. You see, as followers of Christ, we have a responsibility to walk alongside those who are grieving. The Psalms make that very, very clear. It's moments like these where we, like Hannah, have to bravely ask, do I really believe what I say I believe? Moments like these force us to pause. Now, before we go too far, I want to pause and tell you what lament is not. Lament is not simply complaining. Lament is not whining or pouting to God that we didn't get our way. Lament is not an expression of unfiltered emotion into an abyss that nobody hears. Lament's not a social media rant followed by no action and lament is not a means of escaping our pain. If anything, lament is the act of diving deeper into that painful experience so that we can come out as a new creation. Biblical lament forces us to face some of the most raw and real emotions we've ever faced. The biblical writers make us uncomfortable when we read their words of lament because we wonder, can I say that? Can I pray that to God? How would he respond? I think sometimes we in the church, especially the Western church, sanitize life too much. We pray nice prayers. We smile happy smiles. And we tell everybody that everything's okay, no matter how much we're crushed on the inside. And we never express an emotion unless that emotion is happiness. Rather than express our emotions, we tend to hide them. We distract ourselves from feeling them or even pretend they don't exist. When difficult circumstances cut into our lives, we're likely to seek out false saviors to rescue us. We bury ourselves in our work or our entertainment or my personal favorite, a pint of ice cream. We'll do anything but face the hurt and heartache that the pain has caused. 
Webster's Dictionary defines lament as to express sorrow or mourning or regret, often demonstratively. But I think biblical lament is so much more powerful than that. And I want to give you my bottom line. Now, most of the times I tell you my bottom line and I say, you know what, now if you want to tune out or take a nap the rest of the time, that's totally fine. Today, I need you to stick with me. Because this bottom line, we're going to have to unpack together for us to fully understand what's happening. Lament is the tension between holding God accountable to his promise and hoping for his salvation. Let me say that again. Lament is the tension between holding God accountable to his promise and hoping for his salvation. Now let me be clear, this accountability that we're holding God to is not a threat. It's not a God, if you don't show up, I'm not going to believe anymore. It's not a God, hey, you might have forgotten and you need a reminder. That's not the type of accountability we're talking about. But as we cry out to those things to God, as we cry out God's promises back to him, as we cry out the way we feel those promises haven't been met, we're actually reminded of God's character and the nature of the God we serve. But this is a tension, right? God's promise, God's accountability to his promise to be who he said he would be, and our hope for salvation pull us like a rubber band. And whenever that tension sinks in, we get really uncomfortable. So I want you to sit in that tension a little bit today, because I think those places of discomfort are where we grow. So let's take a look at Psalm 13 and see what it says about this statement. How long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and day after day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer, Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death and my enemy will say, I have overcome him and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. If we're going to learn to lament and fully understand how to lament, like the author of Psalms, we have to be aware of the structure of these prayers and the patterns that they follow. Now, you might be tempted to say at this point, you know what, this just feels like a coping mechanism for all the bad things that are happening in my life. And I don't need one more coping mechanism. I've got plenty, so no thank you. If I may, let me challenge you. In our journeys of faith, if we don't learn how to lament, we will not experience the joy that God has for us. Psalm 126 verse 5 says, Those who sow with tears will reap songs of joy. The faith of the Psalms is shaped by suffering, not only the suffering of the psalmists themselves, but also the suffering and the pain of the communities around them. If we as individuals and a church community are going to experience the depth, breadth, width, and love that God has for us, then we have to learn to lament, not just for ourselves, but also for those around us. 
So biblical lament is addressed to God. It's not a plea into an empty abyss. It's not a crying out to a void that can't hear us. It's a cry to the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God of Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. That covenant that God made is a partnership between God and us. God makes a promise and asks us to fulfill a commitment. But all through the biblical story, we fall short on our commitment, but God never falls short on his promises. And it's that covenant God that we're crying out to in the midst of our pain that David is crying out to. When he says, how long, Lord? Look on me and answer, Lord, my God, I trust in your unfailing love. How long? How long will you forget me? God, be faithful to your promises is what David is saying. The hesed, that's the Hebrew word for unfailing love. It's this deep, guttural love that God has that's unconditional for us that will never change. David says, even in the midst of my pain, I know that's who you are. And I'm calling you to be that person. He's calling him to be the God who shows up. The God who shows up in his life, in the life of those around him. He's crying out to the God on a cross. The God who knows the depth of our humiliation and the depth of our pain. You see, in the midst of our hurt, in the midst of our deepest pits, in the midst of our frustration, we can never lower our expectations of God to show up and be who God says he is. Hannah and her husband expected and wanted God to show up. And he did. Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego, or maybe Rakshak and Benny, if you were discipled by talking vegetables as a kid on Veggie Tales, tell us this story. Daniel chapter 3, verse 17 and 18 says, They're standing in front of the king. They're getting ready to be thrown into a fiery furnace. And this is the truth that they proclaim. It's not like they're on a sunny day on the beach. They're right there, ready to die. And they say this, if we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. And he will deliver us from your majesty's hands. But even if he does not, we want you to know your majesty, that we will never serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. When I say we're holding God accountable to his promises, it's not an accountability that says you do this and I'll do that. You do this and I'll believe. It's an accountability that says, you know what? God, even if you don't show up, I will still worship you. I will still believe you are God. I will still serve you and I will never bow to something else. In the midst of our hurt and pain in our darkest hour, can we claim like Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. But if he doesn't, I will still believe. Toby Mack, one of my favorite Christian recording artists, wrote a song, and in it, it says, sometimes it's days, sometimes it's years. Some face a lifetime of falling tears. But he's in the darkness. He's in the cold, just like the morning. He always shows.
the God we worship, the God we cry out to, the God we bring our hurt and pain and trouble to is a God who's worthy of our love, worthy of our trust, and worthy of our worship. Even in our darkest moments, he's worthy. You see, lament is the tension between holding God and crying out to God to be accountable to his promise and hoping for his salvation. But biblical lament also understands reality. Matthew Jacoby says in his book, Deeper Places, profound joy is cultivated in places of suffering, but only when we embrace the reality of suffering. You see, the truth is, in this world, we will face pain, we will face trials, and they will be real, and we can't deny them. There's more lament psalms in the Psalter than any others. And if you want to explore those a little bit more, I know Zach gave us the reading plan last week where we read five psalms a day, right? It's the 13th, so today we read the 13th. We read the 43rd, we read the 73rd, we read the 103rd, and the 133rd. That's the formula. So just add 30 every time. But if you want to read something else, I would encourage you to pick up Matthew Jacoby's Deeper Places. Because it's going to help you understand this idea of lament. The reality for the psalmist is that he feels alone. He feels abandoned by God and his friends and his family. He even asked God, how long will you forget me? Then on top of that, he fears death and attack from his enemies. The truth is he finds good company all through scripture. He's not the only one who's ever prayed this. Jonah, when he's in the belly of the whale after he's run from what God asked him to do, feels the same way in Jonah chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. For deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help. And you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And I said, I have been banished from your sight. Yet I will look again to your holy temple. Jonah knew what it felt like to be out of God's sight, to be forgotten, to be alone in the belly of that whale. But it's not just loneliness, it's also our enemies. Those enemies that were around Elijah, that were attacking, that were around David, were also around Elijah. Maybe one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, and maybe the highest peak of spiritual faith, followed by one of the deepest, darkest valleys. If you know the story of Elijah, he took on 800 false prophets. He wins. After the battle, he tucks his cloak in his belt. He runs in front of a horse-drawn chariot through the power of the spirit that's on him. And then he goes into the mountains and he has a little pity party. His pity party's not unfounded as we listen to his words in 1 Kings 19.10. I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, torn down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me. You can hear Elijah's plea, God, I'm all alone. God, I have no help. When we're in those pits of pain and hurt, 
we often find ourselves isolated and wonder, how long will this last? How long will this pain and this hurt continue? God, how long till you show up again? The answer to this problem of how long is not to deny its existence. It's to cry out in pain and desperation to the God who loves us. It's the model that Jesus gives us when he feels abandoned on the cross. In Matthew 27, 46, he says, About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? When we find ourselves in that pit and the pain's too much and we feel alone, the truth is we're not alone. God, who promised to be there, is there. He knows our pain. He's felt our hurt. We don't have to act like we're not alone or act like it doesn't hurt. If you've felt this pain or you know someone who has, you know the importance of having someone around you. So how do we respond when we find ourselves in these places? Are we honest with God? Do we cry out in hurt and anger? Unafraid of how he'll respond? Unafraid of if our anger is just too much? Or do we hide how we're doing from the one who loves us more than we can imagine? Jacoby again says in his book, that joy is grounded in an acute awareness of the tragedy of the human situation. When we're aware of where we are and the deepness of the pain and brokenness that's around us, we might actually be closer to feeling true joy than we ever imagined. Our honesty before our covenant-making God is the only way we're going to feel joy or hope. And that's actually what happens in this psalm. Some of you might understand that hard turn that happens in the middle of the psalms. Some of you might not. But if you've been there, you get it. It's how David can go from my enemies are trying to kill me to Psalm 13, 5, and 6 and say, but I trust in your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing the Lord's praise for he has been good to me. When we're in the middle of the pain and the pit, can we still hope that God is good? In the middle of our deepest hurt, do we still believe that God is the good God that we tell others he is? Martin Luther wisely said, hope despairs, and yet despair hopes. I think that's so true. Even on the good days, when life is all together and everything's going great, aren't we just kind of waiting for the next shoe to drop, for something else to happen? But in the midst of the pit, in the midst of our hurt, can we hope that God will show up and do what only he can do? It's this hope that reminds us of a refrain that's repeated all through the Psalms, but maybe most known in Psalm 23. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
because you're there with me in that deepness of pain. I feel your comfort. There's hope in knowing that Jesus came and died so that we'll never be alone again. I think that's the truth of Hannah's story. She says this, our trials didn't end that morning, but neither did God's grace. In the two years since, we've faced Wilford's death many more times, and we haven't stopped singing. The Psalms give us words to sing in every situation. They show us how to trust God and praise him in joyful times and in the depths of despair. Today, there's a happy three-year-old running around our house. Wilford lives with mental and physical handicaps because of his long illness, and he waits on another surgery, which again comes with the risk of death. Yet as I look back over all that's happened, I see nothing but goodness and mercy all my life, surely following me. Hannah's story points us to the final place where we find hope. We find it in the fact that God is present with us. We find it in the cross of Jesus that pays the price of our sin. And we find it in our future. We cling to the hope of the words of Revelation 22 when John says, Look, I'm coming soon. Again in the same chapter, look, I'm coming soon. And a third time, look, I'm coming soon. And we cry out, amen. Come, Lord Jesus. This is our ultimate source of hope. That all things that break our hearts and God's will one day come to an end. And that God will return his broken world to the way he created it. And joy and peace and love will be perfectly restored. But for now, we live in the tension that lament causes between holding God accountable to his promise and hoping for his salvation. I don't know where your situation is. And I don't know when it will end. And I'm not even going to promise you that it will end. Toby Mack makes it clear in his, light, in his song that maybe it'll be an entire lifetime. But this lifetime is not eternity. And so no matter what, this time of pain and hurt will end. And you are not alone, and I am not alone in the midst of our pain. The God who promised to be with us is here. He's bigger than our emotions. And I hope that as we cry out our raw emotion to him, we discover the hope we need to carry us through the trials. Church, if we're going to be a church that honors Jesus, we have to embrace the, that lament and walk with those who are struggling. It's not easy. You might not have words, but all you need to do is show up. You might be the only Jesus they see in the midst of their pain and their hurt. Will we show up? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly God, Father, God, we thank you for your presence with us. 
God, this life is filled with more pain and more hurt than we can ever imagine or explain. But God, we know we're not alone. We don't have answers to why. But the psalmist doesn't ask for answers. He just cries out in hurt and agony. God, give us the courage to do that, to cry out to you when life hurts, when it doesn't seem fair, when we don't have answers, when things happen that have no explanation. Give us the courage to cry out, to come to the God, not to pull away, not to hide, but to come right before you and to be reminded of the promises you've made. God, give us the faith to hold on to the hope, hope that we find in our salvation that rests in Jesus, life and death and resurrection from the cross, but hope that this life is not all there is and that there is a brighter future. God, give us courage. Courage to show up in the lives of the folks we know who are hurting right now. To love them. To give them a shoulder to cry on. To mourn with them. To be their source of strength. God, thank you for what we learn from the Lament Psalms. Help us to live out those truths this week. We love you, and we pray all this in Jesus' name and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen.